welcome to the Baba Yaga Project. My name is Devin. I have a master's in American history and indigenous studies. And I'm Sonia, and I'm doing a PhD in medieval history. The Baba Yaga Project is a podcast and blog focused on the ritualized year, folklore, and history, and the importance of all of those things in our modern contemporary lives. This week, we're talking about gift giving. Not just in the Christmas season, quote unquote, but more generally at this time of year and throughout the year. Yeah. Getting them presents. So why don't we mix it up this time and have Devin start us off with what's going on in North America pre-colonization. And then I'll talk afterwards about the Middle Ages. Yeah, so um, gift giving has been... Gift giving has been really important throughout history as a way of building societal bonds and obligations between people who might not necessarily be direct family members. One of the things that we have to sort of clarify when we're talking about these historical and indigenous marketplaces that sort of thrived on gift giving is that the way that we often think about economics and purchasing things and how that process developed didn't the the archaeological evidence doesn't line up with the idea that people used to bar like direct barter then they developed money then they had markets that's not really how things worked out what happened was as sort of societies developed and people and people sort of specialized their trades some people would have more of something or one community would have more of something if they held things in common like a lot of indigenous communities did and they would need to trade for other things and possibly with multiple different communities or persons so what happened is markets developed rather than systems of direct bartering and those markets were organized by like these systems of essentially indebtedness that could be tracked through this process of ritualized gift giving. So in, you know, ancient Europe, we have like Mesopotamia, we have records of, of written debts. Right. That line up with like, we fixed John's house Mm -hmm. and like we fixed his roof. We rethatched his roof. And so now, at some point in time, John needs to pay us off, like, this much wheat, or this much whatever, or, like, six cows into whatever over the course of the next year as he gains those things. And then he can give that stuff and maybe a surplus, and then those people are indebted to him. And it's, like, this series of records. In the indigenous world, um, because most communities, not all, but... a a lot of communities, especially in North America, held their goods in common. So there was not a whole lot of, like, specifically personal property, especially not when it came to things like food or, you know, weapons used for hunting. These kinds of things were held, like, for the Six Nations, for the Iroquois. For the Iroquois Confederacy, they had long houses where they would store, you know, like live in community and also long houses where they would store their foods and goods 
you know, throughout the seasons. And they were distributed throughout the community by a council, um, generally a woman's council, but depending on what was going on in the world, it could be various other councils or if there was a famine, you know, the women's council and the men's council that usually dealt with like working with other communities would also have a say it's, you know, whatever. Because they held things in common, there wasn't a lot of personal property and so there wasn't necessarily the same kind of of debt relationship and the way that we see these gifts the gift giving happening is building a relationship with other communities so right there might be like a, a new community comes through hunting that this particular Iroquois community doesn't know them in order to not I have to go through a sort of violent protective ritual, you know, where like you might have war with those people. Instead, you would go through a ritualized system of gift giving and come out and like present a gift and the other people would take a gift and give another gift in return. Okay. And what that, that was, wasn't a direct exchange. It was a symbol of we will work together and continue to do this. So it's, it, and like that's what a lot of wampum systems are. Right. Where wampum, you know, it, European people misunderstood it as a type of currency. It wasn't really thought of as currency. You couldn't just trade it for anything. Like, you know, wheat wasn't worth, or corn wasn't worth a certain amount of wampum. Because mm-hmm. the wampum was given an acknowledgement of we're going to do this task together. Oh, okay. You are growing this crop. We need this crop. And I will give you this wampum belt or amount of wampum or whatever in recognition of this like relationship that we have forged. And that means that later you can come and ask me for something. Right. And so it's it's all very it's it's symbolic, and I think that that's the way that if you look at a lot of like um, indigenous communities, but also like pre-industrial communities, that's the way that you know before we have industrialization and capitalism and this idea this like consumer nexus that we all live in, you didn't give gifts for the sake of having the thing, right? Yeah, because you generally would only have the stuff that you actually needed the gifts were a way of physically representing a relationship yeah and so they would happen at particular feasts or at particular holidays or particular rituals and there was it was very ritualized certain people would give certain gifts to other people Right, you yes. know, like at certain festivities, you know, the women would give gifts to men or men to women or things like this. That was sort of like how gift giving existed in this world. And I think that we'll probably find when we, this is my little, it's a short little bit, mm-hmm. just talking about pre-capitalism. Hey. Um, probably when we bop over to Europe and start talking about a more Christian context, the early gift giving, I would guess, resembles this kind of idea. It actually does work very similarly in the Middle Ages, where 
gift exchange is not so much about, you know, sentimentality or about having the thing so much as it's about the social interaction. So Mm -hmm. it is this sort of physical manifestation of relationships between family members, between friends and neighbors, uh, between monarchs, and also between social status relationships. So you could be, you know, a, a peasant who has to essentially give presents to the lord of the manor or but also in there is also an expectation for wealthy people to give to the poor so it is this very ritualized gift giving um it's also very much a diplomatic process as well where monarchs across europe would exchange gifts on a regular basis and it's very similar to what you said the idea of well, I give you a gift and then you send me a gift. And it's sort of this idea of let's stay in each other's good graces. Yeah. And I think my favorite example of that is in 1255 at Michaelmas. So in September, mm-hmm. an elephant arrived in Kent on a boat because it was a gift for Henry III of England from Louis IX of France. So the elephant had been brought back from the French Crusades in Palestine and was given to the English king. And it was walked along the Canterbury-London Road and went into the Tower of London where it was basically kept as a sort of curiosity and as something that people could come and look at. And obviously that is not a uh, a good climate or environment for the elephant so it is very sad that it died two years afterwards Uh, they're so smart they can't be like in a little room forever i know i mean they weren't they weren't just in a little room i mean the tower of london was like they had at least like some space to like stuff but yeah it's a very sad story but also one of my favorite examples of these ridiculous gift exchanges because who (laughs) needs yeah like who needs an elephant in england why (laughs) no one needs that they literally didn't know what to do with it and were like i don't know i guess put it in the tower of london and call it a day but it's about this idea of here's this weird thing have it because we want to keep being friends yeah but in the context of providing more specific examples of gift giving and how this functioned in society at the time i am going to be looking at mostly the christmas season in the middle ages just because this was probably the time of the most gift giving in society and has a lot of these examples of this mutual gift giving and mutual obligation to people. So Christmas season in the Middle Ages was 12 days of Christmas. It lasted from December 25th, which is supposed to be the day Jesus was born, and it lasts till January 6th, which is Epiphany, which is when the three wise men were supposed to arrive with their gifts. Mm -hmm. 
And depending on local traditions, gifts would be exchanged at any point during these 12 days. So in some places, it would be on December 25th, but in a lot of places in the Middle Ages, it was more popular to give presents on New Year's Day or on Epiphany. Mm-hmm. So, Hogmanay. <laughs> Hogmanay, exactly. <laughs> so there's also um, December 28th was um, a celebration of children. So there was usual, yeah, it was really cute. Um, so you would actually have, they would elect a child bishop in a lot of places. Um, <laughs> yeah, so you would have like the little choir boys would get dressed up as the bishop and they would get to run a service. Aww. Yeah, so it's, it's very, so <laughs> it's real cute. And speaking of kids, there's also St. Nicholas Day, which is before the 12 days of Christmas. It's December 6th. And this was another time in the medieval calendar when children would receive gifts because uh, St. Nicholas was the patron saint of children. And Mm -hmm. we talk more about this in the little bonus park on our Patreon. So if you want to hear about St. Nicholas and how that becomes Santa Claus, you can bop over there. Shameless self-promotion. But anyway, yeah, we used to celebrate uh, the feast of Saint Nicholas when, for the like year and a, two years, two years I was in Catholic school. Nice. When I was very small, <laughs> we would do that. We the teachers would give us little presents and we'd do all sorts of things. It was fun. Yeah, I would get visits from Saint Nicholas as well, where, you know, you would get a small present like under your pillow or. Yeah. You know, outside your bedroom door or somewhere like that. So it's a very... Yeah, we would get them at school after nap time. They would be, like, next to our little cots. Oh, that's really sweet. <laughs> Sorry, but, I distracted oh, you. No, you're fine. Um, but, yeah, just back to gift-giving at Christmas time. It's typically full of, you know, these are 12 days where, at this point, everybody stops work. They feast, they party, they decorate their homes with greenery. And part of all the festivities and fun times were giving gifts. So among the aristocracy and the landed gentry, Christmas gifts were typically between them were quite lavish, or at least could be. A lot of the time, it was traditional to give fine clothes and jewelry to each other, which you would then wear throughout the Christmas season. So it's, again, you don't need clothes necessarily, Mm -hmm. but it's, you know, you don't need new clothes necessarily, but it's, again, this ritualized, here is something nice for you. And, you know, you can display this wealth. You can display Mm -hmm. your social position. (laughs) Typically, you would also be treated to the best parts of the feast. If you were in the court or in part of a, Mm -hmm. you know, in the aristocratic household. So you would have, you know, the better cuts of meat, the better wine, that sort of thing. And especially for the kings and queens of the time, these feasts could be absolutely immense. If you look at in 1482, King Edward IV gave a Christmas gift to his people, 
where he held a banquet that fed 2,000 people each day for 12 days. <laughs> yep. So, you know, you were meant to spare no expense during this time because it is this this outpouring of goodwill. So I'm having, like, two thoughts about this right now in that, one, that's an insane amount of food. But two, yes. me being able to conceptualize 2,000 people all in one place <laughs> right now after oh, a year of The before times. Same. It's absolutely nuts. But yeah, you also have, you know, this, There, there is a lot of pressure, though, on them to do this. Because if you're not doing that, then you are not, you know, fulfilling your, your noblesse oblige, right? Like your noble obligations mm -hmm. haven't been fulfilled. So we actually see Edward's brother, uh, Richard III, the very famous one. He actually, um, there are records of him selling items from the royal households in order to keep up um, basically his reputation and keep up the family's reputation because he sold a bunch of household goods and with the money he made off of them, he presented the city of London with a golden cup encrusted with jewels. Uh, and he and his wife, Anne, spent 1,200 pounds on new clothes and on gifts for their court. Jesus. So it it was very much about, you know, it, it again, there, I'm sure that in some cases there would have been sentiment behind the gifts, mm -hmm. right? Like, you know, there's obviously, you know, if it's if it's someone you're close with, but overall in in a lot of those kinds of situations, they are political gifts. They're mm -hmm. there to you know, keep up happy relationships, basically. <laughs> On the other kind of flip side, though, these could also be, there could also be very exploitative mm -hmm. gift giving, like gift quote unquote, um, especially there are in, in certain areas in sort of the earlier parts of the Middle Ages, especially you see kings demanding tribute from their subject on Christmas. Mm -hmm. And then it sort of trickles down to lower ranking noblemen, like lords of manors. They start requesting that they also get tribute. And so basically, these peasants are being expected to give gifts and tribute to super wealthy people who definitely don't need it. Yeah, I definitely prefer but, it the other way around. <laughs> yes. And I was going to say... According to legend, the reason that this switches mm -hmm. is because in the 10th century, you have the Bohemian Duke Wenceslas, who was, after his death, there. called... <laughs> yep, he was elevated posthumously to king mm -hmm. and was among the first rulers to reverse the trend because he spent his holidays handing out food, clothes, and firewood to the peasants. Mm -hmm. Um, and from that point, it becomes much more, you know, focused on this idea of there should, this should also be a time of charitable giving. And as, as you get more and more kind of Christian influence throughout the continent there, it, it also in its own way, right, giving to the poor becomes this mark of social status of, you know, 
I am a good person. I am fulfilling my obligations. So it also, this is, this is also a time when throughout Europe, there is a big culture of gift giving around the church and between sort of, especially people who are wealthy and well off and the church and church institutions. Mm -hmm. So giving of alms and supporting religious institutions was a sort of a way to show your community uh, look at me, I am fulfilling these obligations, I'm being a good person, I'm being a good Christian. And it's also about seeking to, you know, follow the tenets of the religion as well. I don't want to, you know, undermine this and say nobody actually cared about, like, salvation, because they very clearly did. They very clearly cared about, you know, making sure that they were you know, trying to follow the rules and be a good person, go to heaven, etc. Yeah. Um, and that's, you can see that in the creation of, you know, the founding of medieval hospitals, of orphanages, of, you know, leprosaria, which are specifically like hospitals that would take care of lepers. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's another form of this sort of charitable gift giving where you were supposed to and expected to if you were in a position of power and wealth to give some of that away to kind of support your community and take care of people who don't have all those all those nice things yeah. but e even if you weren't like fabulously wealthy even if you were sort of more more kind of middling middle of the road situation let's say you can't afford to found a monastery or to found a hospital, there were still these sorts of prestigious gifts that you could give. So you might um, commission a choir book for the local mm -hmm. church choir, and then you would give that because books are expensive. Yeah. And, you know, that's sort of, it, it's sort of this, again, a physical representation of this is a relationship we have, I am showing my patronage, I'm showing that I you know, want to be on good terms and have a good relationship. Okay. Cool. Yeah. And then as for kind of the normal people, the yeah. other, you know, 95% of society, <laughs> Christmas, obviously much less grand. You're not going to be wearing silk and fur and exchanging... Right, so you're not going to be giving away silk and furs and jewels, but you're still going to be most likely enjoying yourself at your local manor or castle. Mm -hmm. Maybe not so much if you are in a situation where you're a serf, because serfs, as per usual, get the, get the rawest deal out of all of this. Yeah. They were subjected to all manner of odd you know, fees and taxes and things that would be taken from them during the year. And they were expected to give a gift, quote unquote, to their lord at Christmas, which might be extra bread or eggs, or in some cases, even a rooster or some hens, which is a lot to ask. Yeah. So, you know, I want to start it out with not everybody was having a good time at Christmas. A lot of the time it really sucked yeah 
And in other places, Christmas was traditionally a quarter day, which means rents were due. So Merry Christmas. Now pay me your rent for the last, you know, three months. God, that's awful. (laughs) Truly awful. However, you know, obviously, though, it wasn't all gloom and doom. In a lot of cases, there was, again, this idea of mutual obligation of, okay, you are the peasants, you've done your part, you've worked the land. Now, the lord of the manor is going to fulfill his end of the bargain, at least in terms of you know, again, this sort of ritual exchange of gift giving. Mm -hmm. So you might be getting bonuses of food, of drink, you might get clothes, extra firewood. Mm -hmm. In a lot of cases, again, the Lord of the Manor's home would be opened up, um, especially in smaller, smaller scale situations, Mm -hmm. right? Like you're maybe not going to be invited to the, the palace, but if you're living somewhere that still is much more of that like great hall feeling mm-hmm. where everyone yeah. comes in and you pass around the drink in a lot of cases you were still expected to bring some extra firewood mm-hmm. to put on the fire and help with all the cooking but it was often all you could drink ale oh <laughs> so you got a uh, you know, your allotment of food for the feast and pretty much drink until you can't drink no more. Which, not too bad. Yeah, that's my kind of party. Exactly. I'll bring if you give me all of the, all of the treats. And right? <laughs> now, some lords of the manors, especially in the later Middle Ages, became very stingy about this. And they would say, well... You can come to the feast. I'll have some peasants there, but I'm going to pick two peasants from the manor. And they can come to my feast. And they have to bring their own food and their own firewood. What? What's the point? Yeah. It I'm going to hang out with my friends if I have to bring my own food. Right? go to your fancy house if you're not going to feed me. And that's sort of what happens as you get into the later Middle Ages and into the early modern period, where there's more and more this idea of privacy and of separation, of, you know, putting up more barriers between people based on rank and status. And it sort of keeps going this way until you actually reach. And, you know, as this sort of separation where it's no longer, okay, everyone come to the Great Hall, I'm hosting a feast. Mm -hmm. This tradition of becomes less here, let's have a feast and becomes instead, well, the Lord of the Manor or the, you know, wealthy person in question Mm -hmm. would put food and clothes, maybe some firewood in boxes and have them like in parcels and sort of hand them out to Mm. the household servants and the peasantry, which is where Boxing Day comes from. So that's, that's why that's what that refers to. It is not a day when there's a boxing match. It's (laughs) the day in Britain where rich people were supposed to put food and clothes and gifts into boxes and give them to their servants and the local the local poor mm-hmm. and that's why we have a day off after christmas in 
you know, Britain and a lot of the Commonwealth countries. So, yeah, we give that in America. Yeah, that's yeah. I don't think you guys would have even had that in America, like when because it. um, I don't think Boxing Day really gets solidified until, you know. 19th century does it really become like a like a day on the calendar sort of thing yeah Yeah, i uh because i read a little bit about this that it's like an attempt in the victorian period to really sort of subvert the the reveling aspects of christmas where like caroline was like yelling at someone until you get food and like banging on doors and like being able to go to your boss's house and like you know muck up their yard until you get stuff and then the victorians were like what if we just make it a real day and we give charity so that then these people can't get all out of their their place on christmas yes that that was just it is right and that's what i'm about to jump into which is (laughs) the what happens when the poor demand gifts? Yeah, <laughs> they gift. demand presents. <laughs> it's so like my relationship in... with my fiance. Give me a present. <laughs> I want a present. <laughs> He's like, it's not fun when you ask for it. Give me a present. <laughs> I'm just saying, sometimes sometimes you just need to give someone a present. I love presents. Same. Give me all the presents. <laughs> So, depending on where you were, there were different words for it and different traditions around Mm it. Uh, You look at the British Isles and also you look... (laughs) So, depending on where exactly you were, this would have slightly different different, uh, names Mm -hmm. and slightly different variations on this. So, in the British Isles and in some of the Germanic-speaking parts of... Europe, it was called Washailing. Yeah. Um, and it comes from, yeah, the old English slash Germanic, um, like, all hail or good health. Yeah. Yeah, because we talked about so, that term with the trees. Yep. Yeah, because you would wassail your trees, which would mean, you know, being in good health for your trees. Mm-hmm. But you could also wassail your neighbors <laughs> and the lord of your manor. Yes. <laughs> Which means you visit the houses in your town or village. And again, it typically involves singing loudly. <laughs> you know, traditionally carols, but um, especially ones like We Wish You a Merry Christmas, mm-hmm. right? If you listen to the verses in all of that, they say, like, bring us some figgy pudding. We won't go until we get some... Yeah. So basically, wassailing was people would show up at your house and bang on your door and drunkenly sing to you until you gave them food and drink, maybe some gifts and kind of, you know, they would keep at it until they felt that you had given them their due and then they could move on. This is my absolute nightmare. (laughs) just people showing up unannounced and screaming at me I have literal nightmares I'm very sorry in fairness this probably wouldn't be happening to you unless you were like a rich lady in which case just give them some food and they'll leave yeah I would not have been a rich lady 
Same. <laughs> what a bit. My people were from, you know, the mountain village. Yeah. Small island off the coast of Scotland. I think we had sheep. I think we were sheep nice. farmers. Yeah, I think on my dad's side, we were just like straight up serfs. <laughs> And on my mom's side, it was Carpathian Mountain Village, so probably also some sheep. Um, But yeah, I would not have anything to give them. I'd be like, I don't know, do you want, like, some pottage? Would you like some soup? (laughs) Got some real sad bannocks. (laughs) Yep. Yep. (laughs) You can have some pierogies, I guess. (laughs) But yeah, the actual drink wassail is, it it refers to the drink that's also made out of it, which is typically ale or hard cider, which is mulled with, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever spices you could come by, maybe some herbs, some, throw some roasted apples in there. I love some mulled cider. That's so good. (laughs) There was also the tradition, there was also a tradition of taking bread that had gone a little bit stale toasting it and then you would dip it into your wassail and that's where we get the word to toast oh wow yeah we yeah we did talk about this with the the trees yeah we've definitely talked about this bread in the tree too Mm -hmm. they'll put bread in the tree to toast the tree so yeah i mean that's basically the two the two forms of wassailing there's wassailing as in wishing for the health of your trees and singing to them Mm -hmm. and giving them gifts. And there's, Mm -hmm. we will come and sing for you and wish you good health, rich person in the village. If you give us stuff. Yes. If you give us presents. Yes. And again, I argue that that is fully fair and valid because, again, you're saying, do you want our good wishes? Do you want our goodwill? Pay up. Perform your obligations. I'm going to go to the rich part of town oh hell yeah this christmas and scream outside of doors until i get presents (laughs) i mean i'm just saying you round up enough people to come with you and they can't turn you away so in the there's also another form of this you know demanding presence which is called yule booking I'm very sorry to (laughs) any, if we have any Scandinavian listeners, I'm very sorry. I did my best to pronounce that. (laughs) So this is basically trick-or-treating, but like the OG scary trick-or-treating. Basically, you would get a bunch of typically younger men who would get super drunk, put on masks, (laughs) And just go door to door, (laughs) banging on the doors, demanding food, drink, presents. And that was just, that was just how it was. Fantastic. Again. I I know some guys who would be great at that. (laughs) I mean, I think, you know, as we wind down this episode... I think it's we've hit the point where we talk about what do we take away from this tradition <clears throat> of gift giving? Demanding presents from rich yes, people. Yes, I agree. Uh, the takeaway from this is <laughs> round up as many people as possible and go annoy rich people until they give you things. 
<laughs> yeah. But barring that, I I do genuinely want to, uh, <laughs> I mean, unless you can actually make it happen, but like, you know, you know. Um, I'm pretty sure we can find out where Jeff Bezos lives. Well, that's for legal purposes. That's a joke, Devin. Uh, <laughs> I'm just imagining this being played in a court of law one day. <laughs> we're not advocating violence. We're advocating being annoying, which is not illegal. <laughs> Yeah, uh, at no point in time did we suggest that any of these traditions were violent. They're not. They're just yeah. loud and persistent. Exactly. They're not violent. They don't really do any harm. They are just annoying. And we can demand societal things. Yes. Like Fair wages. Taxes. <laughs> yes. That. But I think... You know, coming back to a lot of these, a lot of these gift giving traditions, um, especially among like, you know, again, normal people who don't have jewels to give or elephants, (laughs) my jewels and my elephant, you know, you look at the kinds of gifts people were giving each other, they would typically be pretty simple things, handmade toys for kids. Um, Again, maybe Mm -hmm. handmade clothing or foodstuffs for your friends, for your relatives. I didn't really talk about, you know, pre-Christian Europe too much, but, you know, the Roman holiday Saturnalia that kind of predates Christmas... It was traditional for people to give wax taper candles to each other because it's this idea of light in the mm-hmm. darkness. And I think there's something to be said for, you know, a gift doesn't have to be flashy or expensive or fancy to be worthwhile. And I think... I love handmade things. Or gifts that I know somebody, like, spent time like thinking about yeah like it was just my birthday and everyone got me books and it was wonderful because they were like very specifically like things that everyone knew I was interested in and that was really nice or like when people make things that's good too I love those things yeah Gifts of time. Exactly. I think being generous with your time is a gift in and of itself. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, that's another thing. Obviously, there's social distancing is putting a bit of a, putting a bit of a downer on a lot of that. But, you know, even if that just means making a Zoom call to someone or taking the time to, you know, call someone on the phone it's still, it's something that's very nice and thoughtful. And I will say, even if you're not going to hand make gifts, there's no need for them to be expensive. (laughs) Used bookstores and independent bookstores are great places to go for presents if you are, you know, short on, short on cash. So yeah, I think for my, my take is, you know, I think a lot of the time it can feel I mean, we're recording this on Black Friday, and it can feel like, you know, there's so much pressure to buy lots of things 
and get lots of presents and spend money and buy the latest things. And, you know, I think it's worth, it's worth taking a step back and saying, okay, let's try to give maybe, you know, thoughtful gifts, handmade things. You, you don't have to, you know, necessarily, a gift doesn't necessarily have to be expensive or lavish to matter. Yeah. Yeah. And like when we say that, you know, handmade gifts are great, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to hand make it. That's <laughs> there true. There are plenty of artists and artisans and just people that can do really cool things that you can get cool presents for your loved ones from. And I think that's awesome. And I would encourage people to do that instead of buying from like Amazon. Don't buy from Amazon. Don't buy things from Amazon. If you, I mean, if you I absolutely be have clear. to buy things from Amazon, I do that yeah. too. But like, if you try can not to avoid it, then do. Yes. Just want to be clear. We are not shaming no. anybody who needs to do that. I just came out of a two week quarantine and yeah, we didn't like, we needed yeah. food. We had to order yeah. things. Like. Oh yeah, I have to order things too. But just if if you can find it somewhere else or you can find it like from a local shop or if someone can make it for you, then like that is ideal. Exactly. And with that, I'm going to say happy gift giving and gift searching <laughs> and gift receiving. do good work yes and gift receiving make sure your fiance gives you nice Give gifts <laughs> yeah. and until next time do good work and yeah. stay safe